A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, thanks for hanging out again. This is Tom Shattuck. Tom Shattuck's Burn Barrel, if you haven't heard. So I want to get right in to this uh, interview. I talked to a guy named Coach T. Now he is on, he does a show, a roast show in Comedy Central with uh, Jeff, um, with, uh, Jeff Ross, and um, he's kind of the sound, um, sound designer, one of the things. But just check him out on his Twitter. It's Coach T on Twitter, which is at Coach C A. C O A C H T E A T E A, and um, interesting guy. Guy, man, he's he, ten years younger than me. He's lived a lot of life, done a lot of things, and um, I find him inspirational. And I'm just gonna let you get right to it. Remember, find him on Twitter at Coach T. All right, I am thrilled to uh, welcome on to the show Coach T. Coach T is a DJ, producer, podcast personality, sound engineer, sound designer for uh, Comedy Central, uh, radio producer, all-around uh, so- audio um, um, genius. genius. <laughs> and, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Coach T, thrilled to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let me just start right here. I first heard you uh, on Bridget Fetacy a month ago, and then yesterday, I'm up, you're in L.A., I'm up here in Massachusetts, so we're on two okay. different oceans. <laughs> and uh-huh. then the, the town next to me, or the, the town down the street. I used to live in this town, a beautiful bucolic town. It's it's one of these towns. It's up and coming. They've got a bunch of train stops, and downtown looks really, really um, nice and charming. The town is predominantly white. Um, very good, good big-hearted liberals live in the town, and um, and you know they they get involved. They're sweet people. I used to live there. I'm more of a conservative, and I used to do uh, like this boot camp with all those all the liberals, and they're sweet and good people. Mm-hmm. I I think they're a little crazy, but that's fine. So so this is on Twitter the other day. the The mayor of the town tweets out a picture of one of those you know one of those uh, electric signs that the police put out. So it says make sure you go 35, and if you go faster, it blinks and says you know slow down. 
except this on the sign, sign that's put out by the police says, the safety of all lives matter. Please slow down. So, whoa, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so listen to this. Right as of right now, this there is a complete eruption in this town. The mayor then runs to Twitter and tweets out, I've just been made aware that the following traffic sign is being displayed on Main Street. I have ordered that it be taken down immediately, and I'm taking steps to find out how this happened. I apologize to the residents of Melrose. To which the, the then the, he makes the police chief say that there's an investigation pending. And the police chief says, we'll make sure that we investigate. And I'm talking to officers right now, etc. Everybody in the town is saying, this is horrible. I hope... I hope nobody saw this driving by. I can imagine how unsafe somebody would feel. And you've got a town now that has melted down of 95% white people now that are taking to social media, trying to out panic their neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> now, wow. You tell me, you are a young black man, professional. Yeah. 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 Are, are, uh, are you threatened by that sign? Uh, no, that sounds that sounds crazy to me. That sounds absolutely insane to me. And I and I'm pretty black. I think most people who are in entertainment are I don't I don't know if they're as black as me. Like my dad went to jail twice, my mom was on drugs. Like I'm pretty black. black. <laughs> oh, and and when, and when I made and I went to college and I have a college degree. And I I never go more than four days without helping the at-risk youth community. So it's not like I'm out of touch. Like that's my primary route. That's my job. I help gangbangers. Uh, try to self-regulate and no longer be gangbangers. So that stuff never comes up. So what are these? Who isn't this supposed to be a message? Isn't this a message to you, to black men from <laughs> from the town? No, no, no. no. At, at some point, we're gonna. I don't think we're ever gonna get a clear a clear answer. But uh, I. I I, I have I'm calm now, but I, I really felt used about a month ago. And now it's like, well, I'm not the one that's being used. Who's actually being used are, are these people who are, are who are who are killed by police. Mm -hmm. And the trauma and the trauma of that is is being used to further some agenda that has nothing to do with the trauma itself. It's because I don't even remember the last time the name George or Floyd has showed up on my social media. <laughs> and I was like, I, th I thought this was all about that guy. Yes. But uh, <laughs> it, it moved really quick. And anytime anything moves that quick, it almost feels like uh, we were just uh, we were just the fall. We, we were the play action. Right. And in this to me and these are I grew up with these people. These are white middle class, upper class people. It's a town of fairly wealthy folks. Um, they all a month ago did this thing where they all got in the middle of the town and they took a knee and then some of them either, even did the black power thing with the hand. Wow. And wow. It was. Wow. Well, racism's over. That's what I don't understand. <laughs> it must be over. <laughs> but I don't, I don't get it. You know what I, who I feel sorry for is that like, there are a handful of black people in the town, probably maybe 10, I don't know. And yeah. I can imagine how many phone calls they got from white guilt white neighbors saying hey this is uh tom just calling to make sure you're doing okay uh, you're doing okay that has been <laughs> they need to invent an app that lets the black people know like hey this is a white guilt call so we can screen <laughs> it because it's been <laughs> it's been tough for about a month but uh i don't know what's going on and i don't know how they've convinced people who 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 have lived in this country and just because they're white they've somehow convinced everyone that they they're a part of the bigger issue 
I'm not 100% sure that's correct, but I, somehow they've all been convinced, which is, it's interesting, which is a big burden, which I understand what, you're, what that town is going through, because somehow they've been kind of told, like, you're responsible for an entire race of people's lack of success. So their, their well, response is appropriate, if they believe that to be true. Well, but if they believe it to be true, then what do you think the right thing for them to do is? See, that's a really tough thing. At this point, the only thing that I could really say is we all need to start asking questions over and over again, because something shady is is amongst. Uh, what do they say? It's rotten in Denmark. Like yeah. we got to start asking questions over and over again. And then also, where's the end game? Like, is is if there's an end game, then that's good. I think the fact that we're not giving people an end game is what makes people feel uncomfortable. Because all you can do is just profess ad nauseum how unracist you are. But if it's like, hey, we need you to vote for this bill, and we need you to vote for this, and we need you to, there's nothing that you can do other than just feel insecure about your own race. I'm like, it's crazy. I've never seen a movement that makes both white people and black people equally uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing is, like, <clears throat> in Boston, 10 miles away from this town, there are neighborhoods in Boston where there's a, a lot of, there are a lot of murders. The black neighborhoods, like Roxbury and yeah. Mattapan, are, are kind of our, our two neighborhoods. And there, the, 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 the stuff is real. You know, you got kids yeah. dying who, uh, you know, got robbed of the future before they ever had a chance. <clears throat> you know, that's, you know, there, there are young men being arrested there and sent to prison, and you might, young men who are 19 years old who, who maybe at nineteen aren't the, at twenty nine? They'll be different and better people than they were at nineteen. But unfortunately, they'll be, they'll be rotting in a prison. So there are yeah. there are real terrible things happening. But my problem, and I'm allowed to yell at them because they're they're middle class white people. My problem is that these <laughs> middle class white people are just simply in doing this performance art. And then once this is out of style, once we move on here. Then bye bye, been fun. That's enough of the white power thing. That you know, that was something for Facebook. They've moved on to like the the next fad. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I understand. I can see there's a side where it's like this is so ridiculous. We see through it. I think the one that got me laughing the most was uh, Jersey Mike changing the name of their um, their BLT to BLM bacon lettuce and mayo and i said oh this is hilarious like that's that's comical to me but um i what are they supposed to do like if someone has told you like hey you may not know this but you you're responsible for people's unhappiness like a decent person would act like this town yeah and so it, you you would have to because so that's what i'm saying like you're gonna have to start asking questions and having some sort of internal like grounding to realize like, Hey, if you were a piece of shit, you know, you got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't, you get to be like, Hey man, that's, they're not talking to me. And that's kind of interesting because we haven't made it specific. I don't think the movement specific is just as long as you are not, you know, as long as you're white, you're a problem. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reach. And I'm like, and so how do you defend that? If you're white, if you defend it, then they come after you and they attack you and they, and they say that you're the worst part of everything. But I'm like, it doesn't sound like the people in this town has even had an opportunity to be racist. There's only 10 people to be racist. <laughs> to. So, well, the, so but, but they so think what that, are they doing? They believe in I mean, they believe that there's that they're kind of racist by birthright because they've inherited the fruits of of slavery. I think they would probably yeah. say that if you go on that page, not you, but if I yeah. go on that page and say, oh, please, nobody's triggered by a dumb road sign. 
they'll say that I'm being blinded by my privilege. And yeah. first of all, let me ask you, because it's only uh-huh. white people who are yelling at each other that I see, and and, and and maybe that's my own fault for being isolated. No. But what no. what is do I have privilege over you? I, I don't that's that's hard for me because I think what people are trying to say when they have privilege is they think they're trying to say is like if you have a legacy where your family members made good choices and benefited off of some laws that were slanted in their favor, mm-hmm. we're going to call that privilege. And I'm just like, to me, that's just an economic advantage. It doesn't feel like privilege. Privilege feels like you're a king and I can never be in the king's house. And that's just <laughs> interesting to me. And so it's hard for me to embrace the privilege aspect of it because, like I said, I'm a coach. Like I literally coach. And as a coach, yeah. all we do is find solutions for adversity. And I don't mm-hmm. think that there's not enough solutions in this country for whatever adversity affects anybody. So that's hard. I, I don't want to use the word privilege. But yeah, I mean, if we looked at what was going on with our grandparents and our great grandparents, there might have been a problem there. Right. But that's just an but that's more of an economic problem. I don't know if it's if it's a privilege, but I'm like, if it's just money you want, I know how to get money. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, that's all we want is money. Right. Don't we want right. opportunity to feed our families? And it's like, well, I, I can show anybody how to do it. Like every time I make money, that's work that I have to do on myself. I haven't really I've been fortunate enough to not have anyone really stand in my way. It's always it's always been my own work. <laughs> so actually, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up being a coach and in wrestling. I guess yes. there's no all I guess all of the any excuse you could have if you're white or black or tall or thin or no matter what you are, any excuse that you have as soon as you start. I don't know if they blow a whistle, whatever to get you start. As soon as the fight's yeah. on, all that stuff's out the window. You're on. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes wrestling such a crazy sport. Like if you're super tall, you're going to probably be better at basketball than someone who's super short. But in wrestling, you have certain advantages for being small and certain advantages for being tall and certain advantages for being strong and certain advantages for being quick. And so I guess this is like the reason why I'm looking at this, the current events, the way that they are is because I've been trained to look at an individual and see where they're weak and build that up and see where they're strong and exploit that for their own good. Hmm. And I don't know why that wouldn't apply to your everyday life. Like I do it in my everyday life and that's why I have the success that I have. Did so it's, you, it's hard. It, it's hard for me to embrace this. Were you always, I mean, now you seem very independent, uh, strong headed, determined. Um, were you always yeah. this way? Were you, I mean, when I, I, I actually, I'm not even this way now. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always have your shit together? I'm saying, was what I'm asking. Um, I was actually talking to my wife about this today. I've always been afraid of my community and the choices that my family made. It's, it's always has terrified me. And and that's like I'm a DJ and I play hip hop music. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I could never apply like the drug glorification aspect of it is because I've seen what drugs have kind of done. Like, I don't want to look like my uncle. Like, that's crazy to mm-hmm. me. And so as a matter of fact, I was afraid of it and I was running so hard. But like the choices of my family kept me in check because it was like, dude, you got to take care of business. But at the same time, I'm as urban as they could be. Like I did class. I barely graduated high school. Mm. I graduated high school with like a 1.2. I'm not lying at all. Like I was a horrible, statistically bad black guy. I don't think that I've made it. I've just been so concerned about what I could be that I was always focused on who I felt I needed to be. And, wow. then, and then, and then it, when adversity came, it was always like, how do, how do we deal with this? 
And and the more I've developed solutions, now I'm like, I don't really know. I don't really know if anyone's in my way. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of crazy to me. I only think I'm in my way. So that's a. It sounds like a healthy fear, and you still have it. Oh, absolutely. Well, now it's different because now I have a wife, and she's a very good person. She's better than me, and so if I fail, then then she fails, and I I mm. can't have that kind of. I can't have that on my hands, but it's not even that too. Now I'm actual role model for young men. Like it's my job to go in and be a living example of how to overcome very, very serious things that really affect people. Like parents not being there, being adopted. Like I help Mm. people develop solutions. And it's like, it makes no sense to say this teacher's racist. That's why I didn't get a good grade. And it's like, what if I can tell you how to get a good grade with a racist teacher? Hmm. Like, like, like that. Once yeah. you have that level of knowledge, all your attention goes on you and how you respond to adversity, and 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 it goes less on who the hell's in your way. Huh. You know, I talked to a, a woman a few weeks ago, a black woman, and her her son. Um, she told her son who went to law school. He did he did very well, and and but they you know they grew up in a in a poor community, but she told her son, um, look out because. You're never going to get a fair shot, essentially, is what she was saying. There's, they're always going to favor the other people over you, and it's not a fair game. And like, part of me thinks, like, I would don't tell your son that. You know, tell your son, <laughs> tell your son that you can do anything, and that if you work hard enough and outwork the next guy, that there is no limit. There is no, there is no. Even if you don't believe it, even if you know your kid's stupid, you know, tell him, yeah. tell him yeah. anyway. Yeah, there's a. Uh, we were just going over. Uh, I was talking to one of the assistant coaches at this wrestling, and I only help out like once a week because I'm so busy. And and I, and we were talking about a kid on the team who wasn't very talented, but managed to win a bunch. And I said, you know why that kid wins? And he was like, why does he win so much? Is it because he's so stupid? He's not even self aware of his limitations. <laughs> Like he doesn't even get it. He thinks he's a good wrestler and therefore he's a good wrestler. It's it, what ends up happening is yeah. the kids who are like, oh, that guy's good. That guy's ranked in state. And then that gets in our head and we start being the reason why we can't do what we what we're actually capable of doing. So whatever ceiling gets coached into us, if we believe that, then yeah, yeah that, that that affects how far we can go. That's so interesting you say it because I look at somebody like I don't know if you're if you're an NFL fan at all like but the Patriots the Julian Edelman the wide receiver absolutely he's from over there actually I think he's from near uh, in near L A um, I he love has, that guy that guy has no business being in the NFL he's too small None. to be in the NFL but he doesn't give a frig he's like he's a monster and it's all in the, he just busts his ass so much harder and there are yeah. athletes all over the place who do this who have no business whatsoever doing it. And it's like somebody somewhere told that kid as a boy that nobody can stop you. And I just hope that that happens everywhere. And I worry that, you know, with that in in the in actually it can happen in any community. But since we're talking about with George Floyd stuff, the black community, that with all the challenges and all the the built in setbacks, et cetera, that you'd have through the, the Jim Crow and all the other stuff and that, that go that goes on not having inherited wealth, et cetera. I just hope that parents aren't telling their kids that you don't have a shot. I mean, that that would be tragic. Uh, that 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 message is definitely being um, told. Hell, it was told to me. And, huh. and there's people in my life who who people who I looked up to who kind of believe that. Um, I guess fortunately enough, I've always cared about sports in all of my 
sports mentors have always been white. So I it couldn't sit in my brain that white people were after me because it was like, well, white people are giving me the greatest opportunity and, and the greatest structure that I've ever had in my life. Um, so that's been told to me, but it's, it, it's, it's just not real because it forces you to ignore people who give a shit about you. And I don't know how you can do that. You, at some point you become mentally ill if you continue to do that. <laughs> so did you, you, um, I assume you grew up as a black man as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mother was black and my father was black as hell. So I guess I'm biracial. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how was your experience? Were you hassled by the cops all the time? Were you? Um... I, I grew. I grew up in an all white, all white community. Mm. Like, 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 like when they when it's Black History Month and they talk about slavery. Like, I'm like one of the only black kids in the class, and they all look at me like, "Oh, oh shit, geez. we're sorry." Like, <laughs> like I. <laughs> And um, and so after that, I went to uh, Simi Valley. And if we don't know what Simi Valley, I went to Simi Valley, went to Moore Park College. And in Simi Valley, I got pulled over monthly. I never been pulled over like that in my life. I got pulled over so much that it was wow. it was crazy. Simi Valley is the place where they let uh, the Rodney King cops off. Right. Somehow it got it got changed to that jurisdiction and they let them off. And then when I left Simi Valley, uh, I ended up coaching in Clovis and I was the first head black coach of any sport and Clovis uh, Unified School District. Wow. That, that place struggles with racism. And when I was in Clovis, I felt, I felt that there was some weird shit happening. And I was like, there's some weird shit happening. And my default, and anyone's default is, this weird shit is because you're black. Hmm. And I was like, okay, it probably is. I let it get to the best of me, and I've let it get to the best of me a lot, but I can't go crazy on white people because when I left Clovis, the people who fought hardest for me were white people. Hmm. And I, and what I found was whatever it is that you feel about another group of people, when you start moving from a place of love, all of that shit goes away. And it didn't matter if I was black. It didn't matter what size I was. When I created a connection with people's children, they didn't give a shit because everyone loves yeah. their children. So when I start saying, when that kid goes home and be like, yo, I'm having the best time with Coach T. Yo, who the fuck's Coach T? That big, black, urban dude. Like, I bought new era coaching hats. Like, no one does that. Like, I got custom baked because I like to wear, like, a fitted hat. I, I never was like a Candace Owens or Larry Owens or, or, or uh, Larry Elder. It was I was always urban. But all I did was move out of a place of love. And when I did that, it just erased any type of bigotry that anyone ever had in the world which is also just a form of service. So once you move from a place of service, shit just mm. miraculously happens. Doors just open up. So what kind of um, racist stuff was happening? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, oh. you're a, you're a big, strong guy. So, I mean, I, people weren't coming up to you and saying, starting with you. I no, 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 no one. See, that's the thing too. is <laughs> like, like I really fight, and when you really fight in right. life, you know when something's really crazy, and you know when something somebody's just talking out the side of their mouth. I'm like, no, nah, I really like, like, I don't do this no more. But I'm yeah. like, I put hands on you, and I've been to a place where you had to put hands on somebody, so I know when someone's serious, and I know when someone's posturing. Um, but it was just like, like, um, like I was told. I'll give you, this, I'll give you an example. I was told that, hey, um, we're gonna make you this head wrestling coach over here at this high school, and then you haven't finished your credential. And it doesn't don't worry about it because we're always we're going to make you a teacher because we always make everyone who hasn't finished their credential a teacher. So I expected that. I was told that. And then when I got the job, they're like, oh, we're going to make you this paraprofessional. So I was like, mm -hmm. what? what does that mean? Well, that basically meant I made like fourteen hundred dollars less a month. Uh, I said, well, that's interesting. That was interesting. 
And so it's like, that's the weird, like, why, why did that happen? The, what they told me was correct. Oh, we just don't do that anymore. And it felt right. But at the same time, you're like, oh, that's weird because you did it three years ago. That's weird. And so you have to you have to kind of deal with that. And so was it racist? I don't know. Who the hell knows? Yeah, I have no idea. All I know is if whatever I wanted, if I identify what I want and I create a plan, it doesn't matter who's racist. Hmm. But that felt very weird because they always had made people who hadn't finished their teaching credential, a teacher. Then all of a sudden I wasn't a teacher and it affected my money. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, interesting. So like yeah, a lot, a lot of people, I think a lot of white people, um, more conservative like me, you know, we don't see a lot of the blade of blatant racism stuff. So, so we will like question like, where, where is it? Like this town that I just told you about, Somebody yeah. posted on their Facebook wall that she's lived there for 50 years and every day and night has gone has has been the victim of racism. I'm like, really? I lived. Who, who, uh, that's what the mayor said. No, no, this is just a woman who lives in the town. Oh, a woman said, yeah, and, as a, like a like a black woman, yes, or a white woman, a black woman. And and I, and okay. I think, like that seems really tough to believe to me. Like, who? Well, where the hell is that happening? <laughs> I I think. That's a tough like how for the sake of this conversation, let's say racism has been polluted too much. We can't use that word no more because we don't know what that means. So if we say racism, are they talking about the people who hired me but didn't pay me like I felt they mm. should have? Or are we talking about the people who would have lynched me? And so that to me is a completely different thing. And so at the end of the day, I look at it as the primary focus of people in the world is to procure resources for their family. At the end of the mm. day, People need to make money so that they can have the life that they feel their family should be. And we're only limited on an individual level. So, of course, we're going to start connecting to the people that look like us because that's just how it moves. Is it racist? I guess it's racist. It is what it is. <laughs> but if you figure out how to connect with people across the cultural colors, uh, the race barriers, then I, I don't see that there's much of a limitation. But that is very difficult, though. Because you're not aware of that. Like, like one of the things that I had to work on was like my speech value. Like, now that seems crazy, right? I guess that's people say, uh, you know, the fact that I had to work on how loud I was in a meeting. That's racist. I'm like, but I worked on how loud I was and now I have meetings every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, what do you want me to do? Like, you want me it's to like, there's a dominant culture in this country and you can, per, you can get into that right. dominant culture. You just have to adjust and be who you need to be. I guess it's racist, but I'm like, I don't, you should move then. Like, I don't know what to do about that because <laughs> you can still get in and make a bunch of fucking money. You can make the most money in America than any other country in the whole entire world. Is that a stereotype that being loud? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absol oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. My wife says like, I'm loud. Yeah, they're like, they're like, oh, my God, why are you so loud? It's like, hey, you can't say that that person's loud. It's there's all kinds of things. It's not even just loud. It's it's the way you know, what? The, there's a way that and I'm I'm generalizing so that so that it doesn't just sound like I'm a, you know, a, a, a Republican shield. But uh, like I'm generalizing what I'm saying. There's a way that that white people communicate and there's a way that black people communicate and and there's a way that these two different cultures deal with conflict. And once I learned that, I, I felt that I became invincible. And I don't know if it was about race. It was just about who taught these people who have all of this infrastructure and they have all of these resources. Like they were taught how to deal with conflict 
different than the way that I was taught how to deal with conflict. But if I learned how to deal with conflict in a way that was that they didn't feel so threatened, I just found that the world was limitless. But I guess if I even even doing that, I guess that means I'm participating in racism. Right? Does that make you a sellout if you if you start uh, if you start um, um, conforming to the to to white culture? I don't. I if anyone who ever hangs around me, they would never call me a sellout. So that's interesting. Like I don't know. That I'm not. As, I'm, I'm playing devil's I know, advocate. I, I know exactly what you're saying. That's why I'm 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 speaking in general, not you. But I'm like. There's no part of who I am that's ever been compromised. I've, I just yeah. felt like I've added something. I didn't have to remove it. Like I, I work at a, uh, a probation run um, foster care facility. It is ran by the government. It is ran by liberal white elites. Hmm. And all I had to do was learn more about them so that I can connect to them. But who I was before is still there. I just feel like I've added. Hmm. And so now when I go down and I talk to the young men and I talk to them about gangs and I talk to them about choices, they feel it's real because it is real. But also when I go into the meetings and I talk to them and I advocate for programs and I, and I advocate for things, they, they're able to connect to that because I've learned their communicational style. And to me, it's just a plus. It's interesting to be like, oh, I have to learn new shit. <clears throat> I don't want to learn it. And I just want to be who I am. But I get to learn it and I get to do so much more. So it's it's confusing to me. That's interesting you say that. So it's like you don't delete any old programs. You just download new ones to supplement. That's, so that's all that that's all we're ever doing. All we're ever doing is figuring out who we need to be. And so like when we look at at, at the sports world, it's like you go you're going to go to a basketball team and, and want to be on the basketball team. And when the coach makes you run, you go, I'm not good at running. We need to do something about this sport so that I have to run less. You like you want to be in the sport. Like I want to be successful in America. Like mm. that matters to me. My my wife matters to me. Then I look at my barriers. One of my barriers was the way that I solved conflict. One of my barriers was my communication style. And once I figured out how to deal with those, I just became a pocket knife. Hmm. It's interesting. So some of these kids that you work with, the, the, the troubled kids who have been are troubled with the law, I mean, yeah. are some of these kids, do some of these kids just not have a shot? Are they too angry and just, I mean, I don't know. I, I hate, yeah. I, <laughs> oh, man, I hate to say this. like, And I really hate to say this because the, the facility that I worked at, they were like, uh, like I, I'm, I'm developing a hip hop group, a hip hop therapeutic group, and I'm developing with this with this uh, program here, with this facility, and and it was tough because George Floyd happened in the middle of my group, and I had to address it, and I was like, that's that's crazy because you want me to address an innocent guy in police brutality with kids who are not innocent, huh. and I'm like, yeah. like that's interesting, like that's a real tough one. And then I was I was telling staff I was I would always talk very vulgar. I do that for effect. Yeah. But I was like, like these guys are criminals. These dudes is criminals. Like we got to talk about that. Like we got to talk about these young men are criminals. Tell him, have him tell you what he did. He thought that that was okay. He beat an old woman and took her phone, and he felt that that was good. Like I don't like. What do you want me to do? Like I can't advocate for that. And so are these guys lost? Like I. I they, they're in a they're in a very challenging situation, an extremely challenging situation. They are godless, uh, attracted mm -hmm. to a death cult and, 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 they, and they have a spiritual condition. And, and I don't really think it can be solved in a physical 
in, in the physical world with physical tools. I know that's that's like we can't even talk like that. But I'm like, dude, I'm looking at your soul and your spirit. And yeah. that's what's corrupting you. It is nothing anything physical. It's just what you believe in your pores. It's they're in a very tough situation. God, I, I remember uh, being in, in the tough part of Boston and these dudes, you know, were walking across the street and, um, you know, in front of my car. And there were two, I think it was two white kids, two black kids. Um, and um, and all of them had, they were, they hung up, they all looked like, like gangsters or whatever, all these kids. Yeah. And they were like, just like leering at me as they're walking past the car, like, like F you kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. I thought like, like they're obviously angry. They're young. So who knows what happened? And I thought, Jesus Christ. You know, these guys, they their life, these four young kids who are, live in the greatest country in the world who could have anything, their life could be over depending on just shitty decisions they make in the next weeks or months. And they have no, they're so clueless that this, that this 19-year-old kid will incarcerate his future self for stupid stuff he does now. And it scares the hell out of me for them to think that they're... That, it's an assembly line of, of kids who are either going to die or or just be behind bars. And it's the, almost irreversible. It It's irreversible because we're not actually addressing the actual issue. And and we never will. That's why the stoplight in that town is crazy. <laughs> that's 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 to make people feel better or more importantly, they, they just don't want to be caught on the wrong side of history. And everyone's so concerned about that. And uh, uh, but I'm like, we have to look at the individual and look at what his actual solutions are. Like it, it's it's case by case. It's it's not there's I'm, I, I promise you there's nothing you can do on a, on a national level for an individual in those communities. There's not a single yeah. thing. We've already we've tried everything. We've given them welfare. We've tried everything. We've These screwed guys, it up worse we, is what we've done. Because it, it, that's not possible. It's not, and I hate to say this, it's just not possible for you to fix somebody else. It isn't. What is possible for the other person to be like, hey, Tom, I'm looking for some guidance. Hmm. And then you go like, oh, I can provide guidance. But they have to they have to initiate it. You can't go up to people and tell them how bad they are and give them solutions. And then that's why we have this ghetto. A ghetto that no one wants to talk about how it got created. Which I think is interesting because because uh, according to the Black Lives Matter movement and what's going on, black people are the only people who have experienced any level of uh, racism. Uh, they took everything from the Japanese. Everything yeah. they took. I don't think people really understand that. They told them you got to sell everything. You're going to camp in two weeks. They took everything and they all came back and those people don't vote and they don't have a hood. And, but mm. for some reason, we don't want to pay attention to that. We're the only black people are the only people who've ever had a civil rights movement. We also be, we also we also happen to be the only people who have these ghettos that are creating death cults. Yeah, and a lot of those a lot of the housing was you know right out of the Great Society too. Um, uh, yeah, stuff, it's, all, it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's from it's, L it's, Lyndon B. Johnson, Baines Johnson, who was not afraid to throw around a uh, racist slur <laughs> here. No, no, no one, no one wants to talk about like, hey, haven't you gotten everything you wanted, and how is it working? Like, haven't you like you got what you want? Like, what's what else do you need? I, I, so, I, I would say this: if if, if there is a white person who's confused about what to do, hmm. you wait for an actual black person to tell you what they're pissed off about, and you say, "How can I help?" 
<laughs> but the thing and is, I, <laughs> the thing is, in that town, they're just going to keep on, you know, uh, upping the property taxes to make the town more beautiful, and there will be no black people moving into the town, you know, unless the conditions, <laughs> unless the conditions but, improve, and you know, thankfully that they, they are. Yeah, I would, I would like to find someone who is really upset and just ask them, like, hey, I, what can I do for you? What is it that you need? Mm. And I and what and what they really want to do is be angry. I learned this. I had such an issue with older white women. It, no, I did. They've cost me money. They've cost me mental headspace. How so? And oh my I'm god! So have I, by the way. But how so? What you say? What? So have I. Oh, you say so? Have you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. One of my last teaching assignments was at my old high school, and I worked at a, a, a ED program, and I worked in a special ed department. And I found like, oh, there's a there's a cult in corporate America. There's a culture where they speak a type of way and they CC certain people on emails. And it's very it's just was weird. And it just seemed like what the heck was going on. And everyone in the teach all the teachers at my old high school in the special ed department, all they did was bitch. And all I do is find solutions. So we clashed. Oh, yeah, and then yeah. I re- and I realized and then at, to the point where someone was like, we need to be paid more. And I said, we work 181 days. We make $45,000. I said, I'm good. And like, no, no, no. We have to oh, be paid no. more. I said, I said, no one else works 181 days a year and, and makes a full-time pay. Like, That's crazy. And you have full health care. doesn't make any sense to me. And then when I left that assignment, I realized that people who complain are actually looking to complain. They're not looking mm-hmm. for solutions. I was so foolish that when I hear a complaint, I'm actually think they're in search of a solution. But this is not true. Yeah, no, complaining is like a, <clears throat> it's like a religion, you know. Especially, it, it's, I'm sure it happens in teacher break rooms. If if you've ever smoked, like when the smokers go outside, they just go outside and bitch and moan about the stuff inside and management being terrible. I mean, one other thing that that just bothers me so much is when people talk about white privilege. Is it almost like they're saying to black people, "I'm sorry, you can't be more like me," you know, with my it, vineyard it, it, vineyard vines uh, shirt and my. Uh, my uh my nissan or whatever my range rover you know i'm sorry i know you'd want to be like me but i'm sorry you can't be it just seems, <laughs> it seems like it's it's such a like a meta insult it it is and and that's why i'm like that's why i'm like real black people aren't a part of this like conversation like like I don't want to say real black people. I'm just saying like hood people, like like yeah. real hip hop fans who grew up like people like me, like like yeah, we might have some issues when we've been in a room and we we felt left out of things, but but we don't white privilege. Like I don't I don't want to be anyone but me, let alone white or Asian or anything. Like that's just that's that's it's weird to me. I just think I have such a I think I have <laughs> gifts, and I think we all have gifts, and we need to figure those gifts out. <laughs> so you don't want to be white. That's crazy. Who wants to? <laughs> there's not like there's nothing on TV that makes there's nothing in the no, nowhere anywhere in entertainment. Like there's nowhere anywhere. Black people are the they, they created pop culture. Yeah. Like black people have literally created pop culture. And then we act we act as if we haven't contributed to the country and we act as if um, we haven't created lanes for other black people like we. Everything that is cool is because we say it's cool. And we've forgotten <laughs> that power. like if we say that's cool then it's cool and then and and then when we make up a new word we make everybody say the word like i remember (laughs) when i was a kid in in la i remember i started saying fresh 
because that was like Ooh. back in the I, I visited my my dad and and I and everybody was saying fresh and I came back and I was saying fresh and everybody was like oh, okay you know the new the new language and then I'd seen a newscaster say oh it's fresh outside today and I was like oh that's dead but I was like why did the newscaster say fresh because black kids said fresh oh totally Cause black, yeah because black culture it tells you like MTV had a show called Pimp My Ride right. like. Like where did they get that language from? Like we, like we literally contribute to the English language. We have so much power, and no one wants to talk about the power. It is very no true. Wants- like I think, like in the late eighties, like the majority of the NWA CDs were being sold in bucolic white suburbs. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like we're, I'm like you. You have to understand that. Like, so, so, so to get back to when it says like, hey, I have to compromise. But it's like, so I have this ability to be like uh, uh, culturally effective. So if I learn how to be me, but communicate in a way that mm. that that the uh, white America feels connected to, it just makes me that much more powerful. Like and I and I'm like, I'm, we're forgetting that, like we're forgetting that it, as I learn how to handle myself in a meeting, it makes me like the Terminator. Like all of a sudden I'm connected to so many people and I can go anywhere. That's interesting. And you mix that with the fact that, you know, there is really white people do want to do right by black people. They want to help. They also feel guilty. And, you know, there's nothing I think. And I think that's not a bad thing, too. But I mean, sometimes yeah. and I feel guilty. Like if I have if I have to cross the street because I'm going to cross the street, but there's a black guy walking my way on my sidewalk. I won't cross because I don't want him to think I'm crossing because of him. I'm so freaking like backed up with guilt, you know? It's- uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, some of that is historically like, you know, it was it was really fucked up in the past. And and it's like, well, what do you you want to say it's fucked up in the past or you want to celebrate who you are right now? There's literally nothing that anybody can do about the 1800s. Like there's nothing. Yeah. And, and if you want to really you want to really study it it's like how how many people at the height of slavery how many people own slave like what percentage of freed white people own slaves what are we talking five percent yeah probably 10%? a small probably a small right yeah. there's like there's like that's that's like how many people own ferraris <laughs> like <laughs> so i'm like like I don't know. I like that. Just we have to keep that into account. Like so, in the South, that was so ninety percent, eighty percent of 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 white people lived with black people in the South, and and they weren't slave owners. And I'm like, that's just not even a thought that anyone ever tries to process. Yeah, like some of those people actually lived in harmony in the South mm-hmm. in the height of slavery, and that just no one ever wants to. All of a sudden, like that's like if I walked around everywhere, like, Hey, I'm because of Michael Jordan and LeBron James, I'm the best NBA player. Like, no, it's not, (laughs) that's not true. That's not true. That's, that's nice. Like I can't take credit for those guys. Those guys have gifts and that's them. I just think that's interesting because somebody, and what about all the people who came over and escaping other places, Mm -hmm. people with Polish backgrounds, people with Jewish backgrounds. It's so convoluted that we have to like, we had to break it down. Because we have to chill out a little bit and start breaking certain things down. But also, I think if we ask, hey, how can I help you? You seem very angry. And then they see that's what we do in therapy. Then whatever they say that they're angry about, that's not really what they're angry about. 
to lack of acceptance. It's something emotional. It isn't anything yeah. physical because the physical world doesn't matter to anybody. It's only the spiritual world. I talked to some cops. Um, I work at a newspaper in our newspaper. And um, he had just gotten back from a shooting where a kid, a teen- teenage kid got shot. And it's not funny. The kid lived. But anyway, they saw him. Yeah. The kid is getting rolled into the emergency room. And as the cops go and follow the kid because they want to see what's up, you know, the kid's awake. The kid gives him the double middle finger. <laughs> the cops. <laughs> Jesus. If this oh, kid... The cops, the cops shot him? Or no, he the got... cops didn't shoot him. No, he got, he was in a, oh. a somebody else shot him. But in yeah. his, his buddies brought him to the hospital. They put him in the emergency room. The cops, uh, the cops were called because it was a shooting. And when they approached, he gave him the double birds, the cops. That's, so, that's. And they said that that's typical. Like these, these yeah. kids hate the cops, man. And, um. They have, they have to hate the cops. Why? Because the, the music tells them to, the whole culture tells them to. They don't have a choice. Like, so like, like I had a, I'll say some harsh things about my mother, but she was very, very strict. And, um, she stopped me from doing things. So if I don't have that, if I don't have that structure, then the structure that I have has to come from outside the world and the outside the world they place all they 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 exalt hip hop culture and hip hop cultures is so self destructive. Has to hate the police. Every song, we literally just talked about this in our class. We talked, or I don't class, but it's it's a group, and we talked about the evolution of "F the Police" by N.W.A. and and all of these cop songs to the to the fact where it's like it just gets thrown in how much you hate the police, and yeah. and if you're 12 years old with no structure, you literally have to hate the police. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't make any sense. You just have to. What a trap! That's <laughs> it's a it's a crazy trap because they're not not being offered anything. They're they're not they're in a school, and there's no shot. There's not there there's no structure. There's there's nothing going on. There's no there's no fathers. There's no there's nothing. There's no culture. It is it's it's terrible. And what's really crazy is it's really only on four city blocks. And then you go four city blocks over, and you're in Manhattan. You're in <laughs> Beverly Hills. It's 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 such a it's such a spiritual mental prison. It's not even like a real thing. But the these young men, the information that they get is getting from this hip hop culture. Which, as far as I'm concerned, there should be a lawsuit. Like I don't get it. Like how how are they allowed to say these things on a radio? Like I don't like I I don't like I. There is no other culture. There's no one else who can say these things. Well, but I mean, all all teenagers are rebellious. Like I said, you know, it's you know, it's white kids in in Melrose, Massachusetts, bought NWA and uh, all that stuff. And when the white kids bought NWA, they went home to structure. And when the black kids bought NWA, they went home and they lived it. Hmm. And there was no, and there was no one to say, "How come you didn't come home on time?" And because you didn't come home on time, this is what's going to happen. There was just no one. There's no one around. There's no one for these kids. There's no men. There's 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 nothing. There's just state government subsidies, and they're trying to figure it out. And the news flashes: you can't figure out life on your own between the ages of 12 and 19 and expect to live while you've been thrown into a place that's that's culturally compromising to your own health. It's interesting. I remember growing up as a teenager and I was like a 15 year old a-hole and um, and my mother was said something to me. She was chiding. I, I thought it was lame anyway. 
and I told uh-huh. her, and my father was in the room, and I told her, I said, shut up. And the moment Ooh. I finished the word up, boom, my dad freaking nailed me, and I was down on the kitchen floor hearing, like, a ring in my ear. <laughs> and, was, and that was it. That was the end of the mom shut up phase of my life right there. And it was like, it was yeah. good. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it was good. I actually, another time, actually, at the same time, I was this, like, fat loser hanging out with a bunch of kids with, like, denim jackets, and we were all smoking in the train tracks one time. And uh, the cop came down the train tracks, and he said, you guys got to get off the train tracks. This is not for you to hang out. And as he's walking, I said, and I, I, t- I said, oh, oh okay, I'll, I'll do that, whatever. And the other kid said, hey, Tom, what did you say to him? Because I went over to the cop and, you know, asked, said it's a nice day or something. I said, yeah, well, I, I told him I, um, I had uh, romantic relationships with his mother. That's what I told him. <laughs> but you know how I said it. You know? So yeah. and they said, wow, wow, whatever. The next day I'm walking on the same train tracks, this time alone, and that mm-hmm. cop comes over to me. And says, "Hey, finger in my chest, MF. I heard what you said. You and the guy you like tore me up and down, yelling at me and berating me. And I'll tell you, I was shaking and essentially almost crying. You know, it, it, for the yeah. rest of that day. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> it was, it was me. Yeah, so, I I agree. And so I'm I'm so glad you're saying that because so now we can we can talk to the like the white guilt part. So let's say." Um, this happens to our young men. Let's say our young men say to their mother, um, you know, shut up. But now there's no father to mm-hmm. help balance that, to provide structure. And also the mother is has her own demons. Yeah. So now that that shut up feels validated. So now the only source of structure is your mother and your mother is struggling with her own demons. Now you're going to you're going to invalidate that. And so now who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong? Well, these 14 year old kids, they get to pick what's right and what's wrong. And they get to go with their most carnal instincts and their most carnal instincts get to be validated by the hip hop culture. So it's like when I be like, hey, I want Jordans. I want them so bad. I'll steal them. And then you go on the TV and then you hear a rap song and it says the same thing. And you're like, oh, cool. And then when you're like, hey, what kind of life do you want? And then he's a, you can't have that life because of white guilt and white privilege. I'm like, Really? You can't have that life because you do dumb shit. Oh, and no one told you it was dumb. Like, like no one's ever told you it was dumb. Or more importantly, no one you've ever respected has told you it was dumb. Wow. And so you're, these are the kind of kids that you talk to, the kids who are in this cycle. Uh, do they just, oh, yeah. I mean, do they, like, Google you and see that you've had some main, mainstream success and say, oh, forget it. He has no credibility. Do they? I mean, <laughs> No, not at all. Well, well, first of all, like, I. I study the scriptures heavy and, and yeah. I don't make no bones about that. Like I, I'm a, I'm a Torah guy. And then, and then I try to follow Yeshua as best as I can. And what, the reason why that's important is because I try to work from a place of not existing. So when I'm mm. in the room with the person who I am and what I've done literally never comes up because I become engulfed with the service of the individual in my face. Mm. And when that, ha- and that's what, that's what true, that's what a true connection is. It isn't, hey, look what I've done and how cool it is. It's when I'm in your face, you're the only thing that matters. Hmm. So there's no, like, they don't even know what I do. And it's really funny because every now and then, you know, when a kid in those placements, they'll say something to the extent of, you know, staff is only here. They're they're only here for a paycheck. And what's so funny is all the other staff are laughing because they're like, you know, you're talking to. 
this is his side money. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, well, what do you mean? They said, get your phone out. <laughs> like, like what is, so it just shuts down that argument. But it, it, it's not something that I have to deal with because I have literally been trained to work from a place of service. It's not about me. I'm engulfed to whoever's in my face and whatever they consider to be a problem. The solution is always them and they're always the problem, but they may not know that. They may think it's because of their race. They may think it's because of the gang enemies. They may think it's because of their parents. They just need a solution. Jeez, Coach T, you're a centered guy. You seem to have your stuff together. <laughs> so when you said scripture, you said the Torah. Are you Jewish? Not at all. I just I just think the Holy Bible is true. Like the whole, okay. the, it's the Old Testament. But I just think the Bible is true and it's applicable. And I and I noticed a, a, a complete change in my life when I started to understand the Bible and not go to church and say I gave my money and felt good. But to literally understand Abraham going to Egypt, leaving Egypt and understanding the law of Moses. When I understood that, it was like, oh, this is what society is supposed to look like. And then now when I walk through society, I can see like, yo, this is how God wanted it. And this is how you wanted it. And that's why this isn't working. And everywhere that there's God's law, whether we believe or not, there's usually success. <laughs> so interesting. My wow. wife's going to love this. She's an Orthodox Christian and she's she reads uh, every night. Um, so before I let you go, uh, how did you get into showbiz? <laughs> I, uh, I was getting my ass kicked by some white unhappy uh special ed teachers and i was getting killed and then uh, oh I, I lost my mom as well she passed oh she's uh, sorry about that no it, it's fine she did it to herself partly but um so when she left i had my 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 wife now was my girlfriend at the time i just was like i had always been so busy that i never proposed and i just didn't feel like i was treating people I don't feel like they were my priority. So I quit teaching and I said, if this is the best I can do, I'll do it when I'm 40. I don't want to do it right mm -hmm. now. And so then at that point, I was like, well, my wife's really good. So I'm going to marry her and I'm going to give her the things that she's always wanted. I'm going to make sure my sister is good. And then I moved down to L.A. and my buddy, he was running a he was running a comedy show and I wanted to be a DJ. I've been DJing my whole life. And he says, bring your turntable. I just moved to L.A. And he says, bring your turntable. So like all in the same week, I get this job at this uh, placement facility. And then my buddy's like, bring your turntables up to the comedy store. And then that show ended up getting sold on to TV in like a month. So I was in L.A. for like a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm like on TV. And it was so serene, like when we got sold to Comedy Central, that it was like, my buddy calls me, says, hey, his name's Brian Moses. He's the founder of the creator of the Roast Battle with Jeff Ross. Yeah. And so Brian Moses says, hey, um, hey, we got picked up by Comedy Central. And I said, oh, that's really good, man. Congratulations, man. He goes like, no, no, no. That means us. I go, no way you're taking me. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be you. And so what ended up happening was I didn't want to I didn't move to L.A. to be a comedic DJ, but there was an opportunity of service. So yeah. I busted my ass for the roast battle i made no money for the first year year and a half all i did was try to be the most effective contributor to the show that i possibly could so the reason why i'm saying that is because my life didn't start getting good until i started making sure it was about service hmm. and once it became about service now i just get gifts so that i can be of more service to other people wow that's inspirational and she's how old are you do you mind if i ask 36 next wednesday oh wow well early happy birthday um, i appreciate it hey it's been awesome talking to you his name is coach t 
And you can find him at Twitter is the easiest, right? Just at Coach TTEA. I love Twitter. I'm getting into it. Good. Well, now, now more than ever. <laughs> now, that the, now that the world is ending, you should. Hey, <laughs> I really appreciate it. I heard you. People should listen to you on, on Bridget Fetacy, by the way, a couple of different podcasts, which is such great conversations. And um, you're just a, a, an oracle, just a wealth of knowledge. And you guys, you just have this. I was inspired by how open the conversation was. And Jesus, if we don't need more than that, more than. Uh, more than you know, traffic lights with uh, all lives matter or Black Lives yeah. Matter messages, man. It just the ability to talk to each other. We need it more than ever. Yeah, it it, it put me in a it put me in a tough situation because I can think of some people who were white, and I know for a fact who I am is because of the structure and and because of the lessons. So I I was like, then I saw my good white friends starting to lose it, and I was like, <laughs> when I feel obligated. To at least be like, we're not talking to you. Racism exists, and there's some people who are evil and this, that, and the other. But we're not talking to you. Like, I want you to know that I've known you however many years, and it's always been 100. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, yeah. Coach T, I appreciate you spending some of your uh, Friday. Hopefully, you can have uh, get some recreation this weekend and have fun. Happy Absolutely. early birthday to you. I appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, thank you. Interesting guy, isn't he? inspiration talk about self-confidence i never had that much self-confidence ever follow him on twitter at coach t t e a all right see you later the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.